0: Good morning everybody. Welcome to the second web conference about the Centre Intercept the Project. I'll just start with the karakia. Unuhia te pō, te pōwhiri manama. Tōma kia te ao, te ao whātui tangata. Tātou ke tata tātou ke rārau, tātou ahorau, hui, hui, tai kia. So we've got Kaingaroa School from, um,
1: Kaitaia. From, the,
0: from Kaitaia, the north, good morning,
1: and,
0: and we've got Xenia and Jane from Central Interceptor. Aurena, so,
1: Aurena.
0: Yeah. So we had um, Xenia yesterday and we had Bojan yesterday, so Jane, if you'd just like to quickly just tell us um, what your job is.
1: Yeah, so my name's Jane and I am an engineer on the Central Interceptor project for WaterCare. So I actually work under Boya and he's my manager.
2: Cool.
0: And Uh
2: um, So I'm the environmental manager for WaterCare working on the Central Interceptor project. So I look after the environmental part of the project.
0: Cool. And I'm Barry in the Learns office, standing in for Andrew. So question one from Jane, um, we met Bojan yesterday who is a lead engineer, you're a graduate engineer, what's the difference? Yeah,
1: So um, graduate means um, when you come out of university you start in a job and graduate typically means you're in the beginning of your career. So Boyan's my manager, um, so he provides me with a lot of um support and help in my role and kind of learning. Um, it's always new new when you come into industry, there's a lot to take in. You don't learn everything at university. Um, so his role is probably more high level than mine. I'm on site every day, um, interacting with our contractor. And then he looks at kind of more of the long-term main issues that are going on and provides me guidance when I need support
0: for it. So, so- How and why did you become an engineer? Was there an event or a person who influenced you? And by the way, we're talking about civil engineering, not electrical engineering or structural engineering, civil engineering.
1: So um, I was in my final year of school um, and we were looking at what I wanted to apply for at university. I knew I wanted to go to university and um, I've always had... um, being better at the maths and sciences than the english um, which is typically a common trait with engineers um, we typically like numbers a little bit more and so i was looking down that path i've always been pretty curious about how things work growing up i was always out with my dad outside building things i'm helping in the garden trying to mostly taking things apart and figuring out how they work and never putting them back together. Um, and so when I was in year 13, I was having a think about what I wanted to do and kind of saw that I aligned with um, and liked the sound of what an engineer does every day.
0: Thanks. Um, and Daniel, <coughs> why well, and how did you become what you are in your, in your field? And was there an event or a person that influenced you?
2: I think I was influenced a lot by my parents and I was lucky enough to travel extensively through New Zealand Aotearoa um, and tramping and bird watching and botany uh, are things that I enjoy to do in my spare time. So like Jane, science called me. So when I decided what I wanted to do uh, and wanted to study, it was important to me that I studied something that... um,
0: that really interested me and that I could see myself working in through my career. Thanks. Um, Jane, or maybe both of you, what do you think is the cleverest part or the best engineering part of the Central Interceptor project? And just while you, I'll just let somebody in and just hope they don't, uh, I don't know who they are and where they're from, but I'm just going to admit them into the room.
1: Um, so- I, the coolest part about the project would have to be the tunnel. So we're building a 14.7-kilometer um, tunnel through throughout Auckland. Um, it is four four and a half meter internal diameter, so that's the size of an average giraffe. Um, can fit four white rhinos um, next to each other, which is pretty cool. Um, and then to build that, we have a really cool machine called a tunnel boring machine um, that builds the tunnel as it goes. And then we have little electric trains that come up and down um, to help people get in and out while they're building. So it's a pretty awesome piece of engineering.
0: Cool, thank you. Do you have something that's your favorite, Zenya?
2: I do actually, and it's the credit to the engineers, is that um, we're always thinking about the way that we can do more for less. So um, our our project is really interested in sustainability. And one of the things that our clever engineers were able to do is to actually remove one of the shaft sites. So they came up with an idea that they could do a longer tunnel length and not build one whole shaft. You can imagine that if you're building a a 30-metre deep shaft and you don't do that, you can just think of all the concrete and steel and fossil fuels that we don't use to do that. And I think that is my favourite thing that the team has been able to achieve on this project so far.
0: Thank you. Jane, what is the best part of your job working on central interceptor?
1: So for me, um, it's probably probably two things. And the first is the people. Um, I have an incredible team. I work on the water care side and also um, the engineers and the team on the contracting side. Um, Everyone is there because they want to do a good job every day. It's a collaborative environment. Everyone's there to um, enjoy their job, which is really important. And everyone um, appreciates the job we're doing because it has such an awesome environmental impact once we finish building the tunnel. Um, And then the second part to that is, I wanted a job where I didn't have to um, sit at a desk all day. I'm I'm quite an active person. I like being out and about and outdoors. I'm similar to Cazinha. I love tramping and hiking. Um, So I really appreciate that. Although a good portion of my day is in front of my computer, I get to get out on site and get to see concrete pours and steel getting tied. um, And just all all of the environment
2: um, of being outdoors is pretty cool as well.
0: Thanks. And Zenia?
2: Oh, I support that. You know, it's the it's all about um, the people, the people, the people. Um, and I think another great thing about this project is that we, we know it's not just about the engineering, it's not just about the tunnel. To build a strong whare, you have to have all of the pillars. Uh, and so we put just as much energy into sustainability and environment and social outcomes uh, as we do about achieving high standards in the engineering field.
0: Thank you. I'll just welcome that other school that's come in from Lillian Welland. So, uh, welcome to you. Um, but we'll just carry on here. Um, first of all, Jane, just tell us about a day when you did a whole lot of different things as part of your role on the project. Just so we can get a feel about what it might be like to be you at work. Okay. So,
1: um, since we- Building a very long tunnel underground. We have quite a lot of um, sites above ground scattered throughout Auckland. And so, in a day, I can spend um, my morning at our largest site going you know, two kilometers in down a tunnel that's 40 meters deep underground. Um, then I can go to my next site and all of a sudden I'm looking down like a big hole that's 30 meters deep um, and that they're currently drilling. And then you go to another site and they may be um, building a retaining wall and, you know, putting manholes in. So there's such a big variety every day um, and seeing so many different um So many different types of engineering, but also on site, you have all the environmental things you're looking at, quality, um, health and safety. Um, So no two days are the same. Um, Things are always different. It's quite a fast-paced environment on a construction site. Um, So every day is
2: very interesting.
0: And what about for you, Xenia?
2: I think I'll tell you yesterday as a bit of an example. So I started my day talking to a school.
0: A conference?
2: That's right, which was a um, great uh, learning opportunity for me. Uh, And then I went and spoke to a group of people about a public arts project that we are um, working on. So we have agreed to put public art into some of our sites. And then I went and met with a charity called Sustainable Coastlines, and we did a litter collection. And then the rest of the day, I spent my time in meetings.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yep, yep. Cool. central interceptor will cost over a billion dollars so um why do you think this is good value jane
1: yes so as we all know billion dollars is a lot of money um and it is a very large project so um but at the same time you're building it to have over the next 100 years the value of the project so it will be stopping Waste, it will be help reducing wastewater overflows into the environment. Um, it's providing resilience in the network, which means that we're ensuring the network is nice and strong and healthy to carry our wastewater. And it's also meaning, um, you know, New Zealand and Auckland in particular is growing. There's a lot of people that are coming um, and moving to live here. So it's ensuring that we have enough room in our pipes to take our wastewater away. So although a billion dollars over, over a six, seven year project is a lot of money, there's 100 years worth of benefit out of it. Um, and for me, the environmental benefits are the coolest and um, most significant part of that, which is awesome.
0: Any idea, do you have anything to add to that?
2: I just acknowledge what Jane says is that we perhaps we think in the short term too much and projects like this, when we're thinking about intergenerational benefits and 100 years of benefits for pharmacy, um, that's the kind of thinking that we want to encourage in our up-and-coming engineers and people who are working on projects going forward.
0: Cool. So, Jane, when will your work on this project, finish, and what do you think you might do next?
1: Yeah, so the project's running until um, 2026, um, and I'm quite happy on the project. I plan on staying around a long time um, because of the people and the work, um, but eventually it will end. Um, and what a lot of people you may see doing at the moment are heading overseas. Um, Overseas has a great learning environment. You can learn from a whole um, range of expertise. And so I plan on hopefully heading overseas for a number of years, then bringing the knowledge that I learnt back into New Zealand um, um, a few years after that, just so that it's a great knowledge sharing opportunity. It's a great way to see the world um, and then come back to New Zealand, which I think is the best place um, to live. So, (laughs)
0: What about you, Tanya?
2: I'm looking forward to uh, taking what I've learned on this. This is the biggest project that I've ever worked on that many of us have ever worked on uh, and there'll be other big projects like this through Aotearoa and I'm, I'm looking forward to contributing to those um, where I can.
0: Cool. And one last thing, we kind of touched on it yesterday. Um, then your central interceptor will help urban streams and other waterways to be better. Can you tell us a bit more about that and why, that, why that's a good thing or a good side benefit and what's so important about
2: that? Mm. So um, when cities, when large cities originally got established, we had um, combined stormwater and wastewater systems. So there were fewer of us then, right? So the environment could accept the, the wastewater and not be too badly affected. But as you add people, then you can't you can no longer rely on the environment to do your treatment for you. So in Tamaki, we have a certain sections of our city that have combined wastewater. So that's the water from your toilets and your kitchens and your showers, and everything in your house uh, inside your house, and that is combined with rainwater. So when it rains, the water flows into the same pipes. Now pipes only have a certain ability, right? So you have a cup, and you fill it to the top. It can't take anything else um, other than that, it has to overflow. And so to make sure that the overflows are discharged or put uh, put somewhere safely, we have these overflows into waterways and into our harbors. And what Central Interceptor does is it takes more of that water and wastewater that's put together and takes it from 15 kilometers um, down to the wastewater treatment plant where it is treated, Uh, to a standard that can be safely put back into the harbour.
0: So all our waterways will be better and nicer to be around as well?
2: That's right. So you'll have less of these discharges or less of these, these combined flows into our waterways. And so the water will be cleaner. And you'll see that if you look closely along our waterways, you'll probably see more life, such as our eels and our inganga, uh, and you'll see, um, so you'll see a healthier environment, and a healthier environment, of uh, healthy water environment is also a healthy place
0: for people. Cool. And you talked about how water being a bit of a connector for communities. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that?
2: So I understand one of the schools are in Kaitaia, and you you're lucky enough to live in a in quite an untouched environment, um, in in Tamaki. Um, A lot of our streams are quite urbanised, so they're not natural anymore. So when you you take an hour that has been neglected and you improve the environment and you plant it and you put places that people can come together, then whole communities can connect along this, this, um, this route that starts from the springs and goes through your city and then discharges into the harbour. So that those whole communities can be connected via this waterway.
0: Cool, thanks. So look, I'll open up the chat for other questions from um, to be typed in from um, Kangaroa School, and I'm not sure where this other school is from, but you can pop a question in the chat, so you can just type it. So if you scroll down to the bottom there's a little chat bubble there and you just click on that and it opens at the side and you can just type something in there um, and we'll just wait for that <laughs> um,
1: oh. does anybody have any questions
0: We've actually covered quite a, a lot with yesterday's one as well, and um, both of these are recorded, so they'll be going up on the site the next day or so. Oh, that is okay, that's Woodhill School from yesterday, thanks. Right. So, Conman's <laughs> um, asked, are you on track to complete the central interceptor on time? Yeah, um, so we are tunneling, which means
1: we're building the tunnel. Um, at the rates we're expecting so that's about 15 to 20 meters a day so about 100 meters per week Um, but at that rate it does take a long time to tunnel Um, it's not it's not a snap your fingers and it's built kind of situation but we are on time to complete um, and we're tunneling at the rates expected so large projects typically have a program um, and so you, you plan how your works are gonna be constructed and how long you think they may take. Um, so yeah, we're tunneling at our expected rates.
2: You're about two kilometres in now,
1: aren't you? Yeah, so we're about two kilometres into our tunnel. Um, and I think it's about a few hundred metres away until we enter under the Manukau Harbour, which is really exciting.
2: Hang on.
0: Okay. Cool, and there's a question here. What is the gradient of the tunnel? Is it quite steep? So I presume this is interesting about whether you need fall or do you pump stuff?
1: So the tunnel is gravity, which means it is on a gradient. Um, So it just means the wastewater can run down the tunnel to the pump station. And I believe off the top of my head, it's about a 1% grade um, over the 14.7 kilometres. So you don't really, you wouldn't notice it over a a couple of hundred metres, but over the length of the tunnel you would.
0: It doesn't um, need doesn't need to be much to work.
1: No, the um, the reason is um, you want it to be energy fed so that you can just use gravity to flow it down instead of having to um, use energy like pumps. But however, when it does get to the end of the tunnel, we are forty meters underground, so we're here and the treatment plant's up here, so we do have to pump the wastewater up to it um, in the main shaft.
0: Cool. So I like the next question. What happens if you drill and make a mistake? So.
1: That's a very interesting question. Um, so we hope we don't ever get to that. Um, so there's a significant amount of planning that goes into the route we take on our tunnels. Um, and also, technology these days means that for example, the tunnel blowing machine that I talked about before, is all calibrated to follow the correct route. Um, so And it's surveyed also almost um, on a regular basis to ensure that we're following what we call the correct alignment, so the correct route of the tunnel.
0: Cool. There was a lot of interest in that tunnel boring machine yesterday, and um, like the one for the Waterview connection, it was after the project. It was sent sent back uh, overseas where it came from to be maybe refurbished and reused. So it sounds like a lot of tunnel boring machines are, Purpose built for the project rather than yes. you just buying them like a bulldozer, you just buy a bulldozer. But
1: <laughs> so, and when um, a company or contractor buys a tunnel boring machine, they are typically built based on um, their geology. So, what's in the ground, what the tunnel boring machine's going to encounter, and also on how big you need the tunnel. So, for example, Waterview was significantly larger. Um, tunnel boring machine than what CI is because we don't need um, how big is what of you something like 14 meters or something whereas we're only we're only tunneling at five and a half meters simple diameter so very different but you wouldn't take that machine and build it for hours because a bigger tunnel means more um more spoil out of the tunnel which you have to place somewhere it means more concrete and steel needs to be used to build the tunnel So it's all about ensuring that you've got, like talking about
0: before, a good cost efficiency. Cool. Another question here. Do you find anything unexpected in the ground you tunnel through? Obstructions? I'm wondering too if there's some way of looking at the ground using some technology, even though you can't see it with the naked eye?
1: Yeah, so when we're tunneling, we're typically in ground that has never been touched by humans. Um, so we're very, very deep underground at our deepest points, over 100 metres. So in the tunnel boring machines, um, in the tunnel, we wouldn't typically find anything. But Castania can actually talk about what we found when we were digging the shafts, which are the holes that allow us to access the, um, that deep underground. So
2: at our very first construction site, which is at Mangari, um, our first uh, shaft that we built was was built to allow the tunnel boring machine to be lowered and start her journey fifteen kilometres north, uh, and we, we went through a layer that was three three point five million years old, a sand layer, um, three point five million years old, at a time when the Manukau Harbour was um, all un- that part of the Manukau Harbour was all under sea under underwater, and three point five million years ago in the sand layer, we found um, hundreds and hundreds, thousands and thousands of, of fossils, of shells. Um, and one of the ones we found was this, If you can see here, this is an oyster. Now just think of what an oyster looks like now and think about this oyster, yeah. So you can imagine that this uh, creature was living in an environment that was quite a lot harsher than what our current oysters live in. And we um, put we put a whole pile of the sand aside, and then people from the museum came and went through all the site, the sand, and they um, came up with all of these different shells. And then they started to tell us about them. And we found they found new species. They found species that they didn't know were 3.5 million years old, such as black shells, flax snails. And it told them a whole um, lot about what the formation, what the area looked like 3.5 million years ago. Quite different to what it looks like now.
0: Oh, there's another one coming in. So there was a surprise finding those. Do do they pre-drill with a little, like a take a core down that shaft to see what's there first? Or do they send like radar images down to try and find out what's down there before they start?
1: So um, when the central Interceptor was being designed, there is a lot of um, uh, investigations that go on through these things called boreholes, um, and those are used to figure out what type of geology we're gonna find when we're, um, what we're tunneling through, and also what we're um, digging down through to um, build our shafts. So that gives an idea, things like shells, it's not going to be. You're not. You're not uh, doing these boreholes to find shells or find out what might obstruct. From that sense, you're more doing it to see what you're designing to ensure that the structures you're building
2: will be supported um, in the ground. And the holes are only how, how big? That would be about that big. So you wouldn't. You just drill through the shell. You wouldn't be able to pull it up. Um, you wouldn't pu- pull the whole thing up. So the the, the fact that the, all these shells were there and they were so intact that that wasn't picked up or couldn't be picked up through a borehole. All
0: right, all right. So I wonder. <coughs> Someone's asked what's the most interesting thing you found in the spoil. So t- so the spoil is from the tunnel and from the shafts. So it will be those shells, right?
2: So the shaft spoil. Yes, we we dig the shafts normally but with excavators. Um, so that means that you're pulling up a whole bucket, and then you'll be able to find things intact. Um, the tunnel boring machine operates quite differently. Mm. Um, so the tunnel boring machine is imagine a really big face,
1: like a coin almost, that has some gaps in it for the spoil to come through, but it has lots of teeth on it as well that cut through the rock. So when the spoil comes out, it's more coming out. Um, and not almost a slurry but almost so it's not coming out as big chunks and sections it's getting ground up quite um quite quite a lot more um quite yeah and depending on the geology it may be more um have more moisture in it or it might be more drier um but it definitely not coming out of big chunks um but because we are building a lot of our shaft sites in Auckland um which is you know, we've been around for a long time in Auckland and New Zealand senses. Um, So typically you'll find the most interesting stuff when you're removing the top layer, so topsoil from sites. So for example, we found cow bones a um, like, couple of weeks ago at one of our sites and that would have been from when Auckland was still a farming area um, and so the city's slowly grown out. Um, so that's where mostly you would find the more interesting um, interesting finds if you do.
0: I think somebody's typing from um, Woodhill. Has the bore drilled through impenetrable layers? So, normally impenetrable, because if it's gone through, there won't be, but I, I guess some rocks are harder than others? Yeah, so um,
1: typically one of the harder layers you find on the project is basalt. Um, so that's, um, imagine if you're around uh, volcanic areas, um, that's kind of the, the really hard big rock. You should see if maybe you've been to Rangitoto or who's a few other examples, um, they're all around New Zealand, right? Um, and so when we're digging our shafts, depending how much you find, um, you may try, you may be able to get through an excavator. You may blow it up, um, like we did at May Roads. So we got used explosives to break up the basalt. Um, and it was a bit found by the um, when we started tunneling the TBM, but it's built so that it can handle it. So it's like we said before, we do those boreholes, check the geology, and then the TBM is built so that it can get through those layers. Cool.
0: So with the spoil, um, there was a project down in uh, Christchurch, where I live, where... To prevent flooding, they dug up um, a golf course to make a lake and then they used what they dug up to create little hills between the fairways. So they didn't have to take it off off site. That was quite creative. So with the spoil from this, has it been a problem or is it useful in other ways?
2: So as part, so uh, water care at the wastewater treatment plant. uh, Once the process is finished, we've got solids and we've got liquid, uh, clean liquid that is just that put into the Manukau Harbour, and then we've got the solids that remain behind, uh, and that those solids are put into a facility that's located on an adjacent island, Kututu Island. Now, as part of um, constructing the 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 placement of these solids, we need a lot of construction material to do the cells and do the lining and do the cover. So it's basically we need soil to construct this facility. So most of our spoil is being um, taken from the shafts and the tunnel and being transported to this island. And it's quite close as well. So it is a sustainability outcome in that we're not using Um, so much uh, diesel to transport our soil to other places. We're using it as much as we can. We use it for a beneficial use.
0: Okay. And there's a last one here about fossils. What's the coolest fossil you've found? And the oyster shell looks cool, by the way. So that's probably the coolest. Is there anything else?
2: Oh, I think the coolest one was stingray teeth. Now, because you don't really think of um, stingray having teeth, <laughs> and you don't get to come come, come across um, them that often. And also the marae that's closest to our Mangere wastewater treatment plant, their ancestor is associated or came across to our Apearoa on a stingray. So it was also really important for them. Um, so that's, that's probably the coolest, but we also found uh, whale teeth and shark teeth. And it was interesting to see that sharks haven't really changed uh, in 3.5 million years. Uh, There is a a learning opportunity uh, being developed by Auckland Museum um, to take those fossils out to schools. Um, So hopefully um, everyone in Tāmaki and further afield will have an opportunity to see these incredible finds.
0: Cool. Well, it's half an hour. I think we'll wrap this up. Really good. Thank you for the, uh, answering our questions, um, Jane and Xenia. Thank you for your questions from Kangman from Kaungaraa and Lillian's class from Woodhill. So we'll unmute and say a big goodbye before I
2: start.
1: <laughs> i Bye. Bye.